Thank you for reading the sermon scripture for today. And again, that was Acts 4, verses 23 through 35 from the New International Version. And um, today's sermon I've entitled Power, Persecution, and Prayer. Um, and this is, we're continuing in our Acts series, The Spirit-Infused Multi-Ethnic Church. Uh, this is a loving um, scripture series from Renew. And so glad that you can join us. Uh, before we get started, I have a story from uh, my childhood growing up in Texas. Uh, in Texas, there you can sometimes find in your yard or in the fields big mounds of what looks like mounds of dirt, um, but they're kind of like almost like uh, coffee grounds, um, but orangish, brownish in color, these mounds are, um, but they're the consistency of coffee grounds. And, you can see them all over the place. And what they are are fire ant mounds. And uh, on the surface, they're just mounds. And then you see a hole maybe on the top in the center. And then you see uh, ants here and there, individual ants kind of walking back and forth or a trail of ants. Um, looks harmless enough. And uh, growing up as a kid, when I first encountered one of these fire ant mounds in Texas, uh, I saw the ants and I was like, oh, what is this? And so, uh, like any other kid, I got curious and, you know, got a stick and started poking um, the hole, poking the mound, and ants would, you know, several ants would emerge and climb up the stick. That's where I learned that fire ants were, you know, they bite you and it hurts a little, but it gets really itchy and you get little tiny bumps and um, itch. They get itchy at night when you're trying to sleep. But anyways... On this first encounter, I, uh, being naive and not knowing, decided to step on the mound and squash it down and, and keep my foot there. And when I did, all of a sudden, hundreds, hundreds of ants started to emerge. And then they were crawling all over my foot and climbing up my leg and biting me, biting me. And I was screaming and yelling and... Uh, uh, realized that was my first lesson on fire ants, that you don't mess uh, with a fire ant mound, or you, if you step on it, they'll all emerge angry. And so the angry fire ants, later, you know, that week, later that month, uh, I didn't stop at just stepping on them and running. I decided to declare war on the ants. And okay, mind you, I was a, just a just a little kid. I didn't have like concern for God's creation or wanting to save animals or whatever. I just wanted to destroy them. And so uh, me and my friends, we come up with different ideas like, you know, stirring up the mounds and letting them all come out and then stomping on them without them crawling up our legs and biting us or pouring, spraying them with water, water hoses and drowning them or something or, or pushing the ants onto the uh, sidewalk onto the street into the gutters uh, so that was our way of declaring war and then later uh, we got bolder and would I my dad had a, a, a flame torch you know in the garage and I would I would uh, torch the I would like step on the mound and let the ants come up and then I'd torch them as they'd come up and later we'd have those m80s those fire the really powerful fireworks that like explode almost like they're dynamite. We'd put them in the middle of the mound, dig them in, light, light the fireworks and poof, explode them. The problem with that is sometimes 
ants would fly on you and they'd still be alive biting your face. So that was not good. Uh, and then finally, we graduated to pouring gasoline <laughs> on the fire ants mounds and lighting them on fire, uh, lighting the fire ants on fire. Uh, so those are good times, good times, really fun. Um, but the reason why I tell this parable, the parable of the Texas fire ants, is uh, because I want to ask this question. When the heat turns up, what is our response? When the heat turns up, when the pressure is on, when you're feeling the heat, when you're feeling the suffering, um, what is your response to that? And uh, definitely the fire ants, when you put the heat on the fire ants, they, they stir up and they get angry and they swarm in groups. And um, that analogy, that visual, and I'll put one on the screen here, that visual of fire ants disturbed um, reminds me of what happens in our structures, in our culture, in our world, in our society, in our systems, when the pressure and the heat is turned up, when that's disturbed, things like what lies beneath begins to come up and swell up, and you see the, the fire ants bite back. And so uh, I think one of the things about this virus, as the, the coronavirus pandemic, is that it's revealed a lot of things that lie underneath inside the fire ant mound. Everything's fine when nothing is disturbed, when no pow the powers that be aren't challenged, or e the, e the economy is doing well and not suffering, or our health is doing well and not suffering, or uh, leaders and authorities and governments are, are doing well and not being challenged or criticized. But when you have something like the coronavirus pandemic and the economy starts to suffer, the bottom line, money, People begin to lose money. Those who are rich or those who control things start to lose control or aren't allowed to do what they usually do. Sometimes that stirs the pot, right? That rocks the boat, that disturbs the ant mound. And they, the fire ants rise up and get angry and start to bite. I think in our passage today, um, in Acts chapter 4, 23 through 35, the apostles of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, namely Peter and John, have stirred up the ant pile, right? They've brought up the resurrection of Jesus. They've been healing. They've healed the lame man. And their followers are growing, but it's challenging uh, the Sadducees and the other priests and the temple, uh, the temple guard and the temple authorities uh, in the established religious order, and things are stirred up. It's as if they disturbed the fire ant mound, and that leads to their arrests, which we saw last week. It leads to their arrest, their questioning, their interrogation, and uh, a command, a gag order to never preach about Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And so the persecution of the church has started because the nest has been disturbed. And we see that in our systems, in our culture now. Now that the nest has been disturbed, what's going to happen? Things are threatened. Money is threatened. The well-being of people are threatened. And so when the heat turns up for us 
as individuals or us as a people, a nation, a country, or us as a community of faith, a church? What is your response? Do you pump on the brakes and retreat? Do you sell out to the other side? Do you hide? Or do you double down and push forward and go all in? Go all in and double down. We see this all through scripture. You remember in the book of Exodus and the Old Testament, the people have just been freed from the Egyptians and are going away, traveling away from the Egyptians, from captivity, from slavery, going towards the promised land led by Moses and led by God. But then they, uh, they encounter hardships. They encounter problems. They encounter obstacles in the wilderness, like a lack of food, the fear of starvation, a lack of water, not ha having anything to drink. And several times in the Exodus, they begin to complain every time they come upon a problem or an obstacle or a suffering. They say to Moses and the other leaders, why did you bring us out to the wilderness to die? And the, and the really surprising thing is they say, we were better off in Egypt under our slave drivers, right? It's better off if we go turn around and go back now. Why have you brought us this far only to die? The disciples themselves in the New Testament, we have an example of this, when they face persecution after Jesus' arrest, what do they do? It says the disciples, after the crucifixion of Jesus, after his persecution, after his arrest, they flee, they scatter. The disciples scatter. Peter, remember, Jesus predicted that he would deny Jesus, and he denies Jesus three times after the arrest of Jesus. And people are like, aren't you the guy who followed Jesus? He's like, no, no, no. Abort, abort. Right? People flee, people scatter, people sell out, people hide, people are afraid. But I think the message that I see in the book of Acts, as the church is facing the first ever persecution post Jesus' ascension, and as persecution is going to continue to come later on and intensify, what, how do the people of God, how did this new birthing, burgeoning, expanding, growing community of faith, community of the disciples of Jesus, how do they respond? Do they quit? Do they say, we were better off not following Jesus, let's turn back, or let's hide, or let's not claim, be witnesses of the gospel, let's shut up, just like the priest told us to. Let's, let's not say anything. Let's not stir the pot. You know, this is, this is wrong, right? How do they respond? Let's look at that. On their release, verse 23, Peter and John went back to their own people. And I want to stop right there because I uh, highlighted their own people here in my notes their own people. They've just been arrested. They've been in the uh, custody of the priest, the Sanhedrin of the temple, and they've been interrogated and they've been threatened. And so immediately what they do is go back to their own people, to the community, 
koinonia, right? The fellowship of believers, their family, their peeps. And that's a, that's a lesson that we should all learn. Like oftentimes when we go through persecution or when we go through struggles and obstacles, we don't turn to community. We don't turn to our family. We don't turn to our own people, but we tend, at least I tend to, you can, you can own up to your own stuff. I tend to isolate, right? I tend to retreat to myself, my own closet, my own room, my own home, so I can figure out myself. So I can be like, I don't want, I don't need anyone. I don't need help, right? I don't want people to see me weak or vulnerable like this. But Peter and John immediately go back to their own people and they report, they tell them. They tell them, oh, the chief priests and the elders, they took us into custody, they interrogated us, and they told us not to witness, not to tell the gospel, not to uh, tell anyone else about Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. They told us to shut up. And then when the people hear this story, they raise their voices together in, the, in prayer to God. It's one thing to have one voice, one person praying to God. You know, that's one voice. But when you have a whole community of faith together raising their voices and up to God, wanting and hungering and saying and speaking the same types of things in, in unity, it's loud and it's powerful. I don't think they're praying quietly or whispering. I think they're praying out loud with all their hearts, even weeping as they're praying. So it says they raise their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And they are quoting David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Uh, I actually don't know. It says they raise their voices together and then it, it gives these words that they're saying. But I don't know if this is one person that's preaching this thing and they're quoting it here in Acts or it's just the kinds of things that were being said and they're, you know, uh, the writer, uh, Act Luke, is just kind of piecing those together to give a, a summary of the kind of things that they're telling. I, I think it's just examples of the kinds of things they're saying and praying together. They're saying, Sovereign Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth. You're the great creator. Um, maybe someone stood up and read the uh, Psalm of David, and this is one of the Psalms. Um, and they continue, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your spirits, servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So what does this community of faith, this newfound community of faith do when the heat turns up, when persecution is turned on them? What is their response? One, the apostles go back to their own people, right? You turn, they turn to community, to the community of faith, to the family, because there's strength in numbers. 
you're better together than in an alone. And, and that's, I think that's huge because a lot of us um, at one point or another believe, you know, in a, sometimes believe that you can do church alone. That following Jesus is just your own personal faith by yourself. But you actually cannot follow Jesus without being part of the community of faith or the church. There's no such thing as doing church by yourself. That's not scriptural. That's not biblical. Um, but we actually need one another. You need to be in fellowship with one another. This is what we see in Acts. This is what we see the apostles immediately doing. When they face the heat, they get out of jail, they're freed. They immediately go to their people, help, and they tell them what's going on. So first thing, first response when you're in persecution or suffering or, or the heat of the fire ants are starting to, to crawl on you is go back to community. Secondly, the community of faith raise their voices together in one voice in corporate prayer. They pray. Right? When we face hard things, when we face obstacles in the road that we can't handle ourselves, we go, we gather together in groups, and then we pray together. We don't pray alone in our closets. There's times for that. But we, we practice corporate prayer. That means praying together as a whole, feeding off of one another's prayers hearing the prayers of other saints, right? Responding to something one person has prayed by praying or even elevating voices together and unified prayer. And in this corporate prayer, there's a few things that we can see, a few patterns that we can take as principles. In this corporate prayer, they remember who God is. They lift up their voice and say, Sovereign God, right? Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. God, you are God. You are sovereign, meaning you have authority and power over all things. Remembering who God is. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You're creator. You made everything. So there's no problem, right? No issue, no drama, nothing that is beyond your ability to handle. You are over all problems. So they remember who God is. Secondly, they use scripture as context, right? They quote, uh, you spoke the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. They've quote a Psalm of David. Why did the nations rage and why? And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And this Psalm of David is talking about other nations and other kingdoms rising up, banding against the Lord and God's anointed one. Right? It's talking about persecution. It's talking about God's person, God's anointed one, or God's people, and how other nations and rulers of the land are banding together. Right? They're allying to push down and press down against the Lord and against his people. So this, they're using this Psalm of David and placing it in their context, right? They're using it as a context for their own persecution, right? Here are, 
here are uh, the Sadducees, the priests, the Sanhedrin, who are conspiring against the Lord and conspiring against his anointed, his people. So that's the Old Testament. They, they quote the Old Testament, a psalm. Then they turn to the story um, that, well, it wouldn't have been the New Testament because the New Testament was, wasn't written those times. They turn to a st the, the life of Jesus, their own witness, their own experience of the life of Jesus. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your Holy Spirit, whom you anointed. Right? They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider the threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They're reminded of their own experience of witnessing Jesus Christ and the Pharisees and the temple leaders and the Sadducees conspiring, right? Bringing Jesus before Pontius Pilate and Herod, the king of the, the, king of, uh, the Jews at the time of Jerusalem, um, conspiring together in the back rooms to persecute Jesus, to falsely accuse Jesus, and ultimately to execute Jesus. So they remember who God is. Secondly, they use scripture as context. Thirdly, they point to Christ, and I just mentioned this, they point to Christ as context, right? This is what happened to Jesus. Jesus was crucified. Jesus was persecuted. And this is now happening to us. Give us boldness. Help us. And this is the fourth and final thing in corporate prayer, is calling out to God for power. Right? What do you do in the midst of power that's oppressing you? What do you do in the midst of persecution? Power, persecution, is prayer. Corporate prayer is the response to persecution and suffering or the powers pressing down on you. And I've entitled this sermon Power, Persecution, and Prayer, um, but actually power has a dual meaning, right? It could be the power that's powers that are persecuting you, the evil systemic powers, unjust powers that are pushing people down because of money, because of greed, because of the lust for power, right? And when that power is threatened, like red ants, it starts to get violent. It starts to hurt the weak and the vulnerable. And we've seen that in our world. We've seen that in the news every day, right? You stir, you stir the ant pile and it gets mad, fiery mad. And you, it rears its ugly head and you see the true colors. So power in that sense versus the power of the Holy Spirit that we've seen already throughout Acts and which the, the people are invoking or people are calling for as they're praying. Like we are feeling the oppressive power on this side of the kings and rulers of the land. And we ask for your power because you are the sovereign Lord. 
ask for your power to make us bold to preach, continue to preach and witness and to give us strength to overcome and so and more signs and wonders. You've already done signs and wonders through the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. We need more of that in order to get through this. Please, in the name of Jesus, in the power of the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, help us. That is what they do in prayer. So the apostles go back to their own community. The people, the community enter into corporate prayer. And then what we see is a mini Pentecost. What happens? Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken like an earthquake, like a great wind. And then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. It's a mini Pentecost, just like in chapter two, right? The place that they're praying in, their, their rooms, their back rooms, right? Is shaking. And it says they're all filled with the Holy Spirit, just like the tongues of fire. Just like Peter before the Sanhedrin was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak boldly. They too begin to speak boldly the word of God. Just like at Pentecost and the apostles, just like Peter when he was being uh, interrogated on trial. When the Holy Spirit comes, people are made bold. People are empowered and people are able to speak, be witnesses and testify to the gospel without fear and with power. Amen. Just like Peter. What does it look like for us to speak boldly, to be bold witnesses, even in the midst obstacles in the road, even in the midst of persecution? Maybe, maybe you like me, you've come halfway through the wilderness, halfway through the desert, into freedom, into truth. But then things have gotten hard. You're getting a little thirsty. Or maybe some prayers you feel haven't been answered. Or you're like, how long is this stay at home going to last? How, how long is our government going to be like the way our government is? How long are the poor going to be mistreated? How long are immigrants, how long is racism going to continue in our country? How long am I going to go without a job? How long um, do I have to wait before my kids can go back to school or play with their friends? How long, Lord? How long, Lord? How long, Lord? We were better off over there than here. Or maybe as we're in this uh, tipping point in our country as it uh, involves race and the racial dialogue and racial injustice and understanding systemic injustice, the history of systemic injustice and acknowledging that as a sin in our country, in our history, maybe you've just started being in that dialogue and you've even posted things. Maybe you've even marched and gone on a protest, on a Black Lives Matter protest or you've uh, read articles or you've been confronting your family members or uh, friends growing up about things that you're, you've been learning um, 
in terms of injustices or the racial dialogue, systemic injustice. But things have gotten hard. You've taken more heat for it. And you're like, ooh, maybe I should back off. Even now, as I'm giving this sermon, I'm like, I should be funnier and tell more jokes because maybe people are tired of the intensity, right? Of truth speaking, of, prophetic, of the prophetic witness of the gospel. But I know that I need to be faithful. And the only way that I can be faithful and continue and push through, even when the fire ants are all around me, the Holy Spirit is going to give us the boldness. This is what we see, the boldness to preach, the boldness to testify, the boldness to be witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Remember in Luke, what is Jesus? He opens the scroll in the temple and he turns to Luke, or he doesn't turn to Luke. He turns to, opens the scroll of Isaiah, right? And what does he quote? He says the spirit, you can find this in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the who? To the rich? No. To the worthy? No. To the powerful? No. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has set, sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is now the jubilee, the table turning. And so when we say, when we read in Acts that the people are given boldness through the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel, witness to the truth of Jesus' resurrection, it also means speaking the gospel means good news for what Jesus was about. The good news of the gospel was about the oppressed, setting the oppressed free, good news for the poor, right? And proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, of jubilee, the table turning. And so this is what we're talking about is when you know something is right in the eyes of God, when you know that there are wrongs in the world, when you know that there is being, people are being mistreated, or as Jesus followers, we are called to be witnesses, and we're in the middle of the desert and like, oh, I wish I hadn't gone halfway. How do you respond? Do you pump the brakes and retreat? Do you sell out to the other side? Do you hide? Or do you double down, push forward and go all in? You might as well, you're halfway there. You might as well go the rest of the way. Go all in. But we don't go all in alone. We go with our community. We go in the power of prayer. And we go baptized in the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. When you're struggling, God will be there to help you and give you what you need. The Holy Spirit is here to empower us and to lift us up. And your church is here around you to help you, to embolden you, and to lift you up 
No person is an island, each into themselves. We're not alone. We're in community. And this is the church. So encourage one another, pray with one another, and, and push forward and, and testify and witness in every forum, every, any way you can, with your families, with your friends, on social media, in letters, on the phone, with the neighborhood grocery workers, anyone you come across, your neighbors on walks in the neighborhood, be a witness to God's love. Be a witness to the good news. Don't be afraid. Don't, don't be shy. Don't hide. And then finally at the end of Acts uh, chapter 4 here, in verse 32, beginning in verse 32, we get another summary. I mentioned the summary statements a few weeks ago that through Acts there are these summary statements about how the community of believers are doing and their growth. So we read 32, all the believers were in one heart and mind. They were together, this unity through prayer, through oneness. No one claimed that any other possession was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They continued. They didn't stop. They pushed forward. Could you imagine if this witness stopped? If they had listened to um, the Sadducees of the temple no longer speak about Jesus' resurrection? What if the community of faith just was like, we're scared, we stopped right here. And actually, it exploded. They pushed forward by power. And actually, this is one of the uh, things you can point to, to proof uh, of the gospel and proof of Jesus' resurrection and the community of faith. Because usually when a leader of, um, so, uh, a, leader of a movement dies, that movement ends. Usually when there's persecution, that movement ends, especially the Christian, um, the, the Christian community here is very small, right? And not a lot of power. So it should have been snuffed out. Instead, there's more power. There's more people. There's more energy. There's more courage. That has to be because of, yes, indeed, Jesus is raised. And yes, indeed, the Holy Spirit is present, empowering this community. So it continues to say, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, all that, all that were there were, there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. This oneness what this is saying is this oneness was so radical, this familyness was so radical, everyone shared their possessions. And when there was so an urgent need, because of God's grace, there happened to be someone who owned a land or a house here or there. They sold it and, and brought it and said, oh, help this person. I, I, sold my, I sold my house. 
and it was distributed to people in need. And I used to read these passages and be like, oh, this is a formula, it's like a formula, right? If the community of faith sells everything it has and shares and has their goods and possession and possessions together as one and gives to those in need, then they'll have God's grace and they'll grow, right? And miracles will happen. But actually, in, in the passage here, it says, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy, needy persons among them. So what that says is, because of God's grace and Holy Spirit, because they were filled in the Holy Spirit, that there was no one in need. It was God's power that helped them to be a community in which there was no one in need, right? Not by their merit where they're sharing just because they, were, they made sacrifices, but as God's grace upon them and the Holy Spirit upon them that enabled people, that raised up people who had things and sacrificed them for the needy, right? God's grace precedes the goodness of the community of faith. All we do is gather and pray, gather and pray, and God's grace will do the rest. And so family, community, when we're facing insurmountable odds, when we're facing threats in the world, let us together turn to God in prayer and come together corporately it's the power of the prayer that calls upon the Holy Spirit that allows God's grace to descend upon us and help us to be a part of the amazing works and wonders of God. I leave you with the question today, a challenge. In what powers will we trust and swear allegiance to? What power? Will you swear allegiance to today? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the spirit, the power and the spirit. And for your son and his sacrifice for, this, for Jesus Christ's love and sacrifice for us. Empowering us as his body to be in the world as a light, as beacons, as ambassadors, um, as witnesses to good news for all people. And when that light is dimmed out, when people's hopes are dimmed um, because of persecution, because of just bad beats and because of the system, help us to be courageous and be bold, to help, to assist, um, to speak truth, to power, um, to not fold under the pressure, but make us a powerful community of Christ that's all in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.